everybody. This is Chris Starr back again with the Wildlife Command Center podcast. And as you can see by the title, we went viral on TikTok. <laughs> it's pretty bananas. So I have Michael Bearhands Baran on with me today to talk about the video that popped the heck off. Over 8 million views on that sucker. And we talk a little bit about that, what it takes to go viral on TikTok, as well as our new little baby Harris Hawk that we've got hanging around the Wildlife Command Center. If you haven't yet, please subscribe to the podcast and hit the notification bell. It really does help, as well as leaving us an awesome five-star review for that bad boy. So let's jump in with myself and Michael Barehands Baran. Okay, Michael, you said that we had a TikTok video get over 8 million views. Yes, we did. TikTok. Wow. Why didn't I start using TikTok sooner? Dude, Tim told me back in like 2015. I know, right? Like, <laughs> it, that's definitely one of those things like Bitcoin. Why didn't I get in on that? TikTok. Why yeah, didn't I get in on that? But you know what? Doesn't matter. We're in it now. You know, it was one of my 2022 New Year's goals. And it was to download the TikTok app and make it happen on TikTok. And so in January, I downloaded the app, learned how to use it, started making some crappy videos, got a little <laughs> bit of interest, figured out some better ways to make videos, got more interest, then started really hitting some of the trends, you know, and not the funky, wonky type of trends. I'm talking about the trends that were, you know, related to a business, you know, the things that you do in a business. And, you know, our business is animals. So we started just moving heavy with the animal TikToks. And it has really, really been going well. My personal TikTok page has been growing steadily. You know, I get probably anywhere from 20 to 50 followers a day, new followers. Nice. But our videographer, Cole Hieronymus, who is 100% all the time just videoing Wildlife Command Center like crazy. He jumped on the TikTok. He created a TikTok page, and he was just going to play around with it a little bit to see how to tweak the Wildlife Command Center TikTok page. Because you know, <laughs> everything I do is, is about Wildlife Command Center. Every single thing I do is about Wildlife Command Center. So anyway, he was playing with it, and he posted a video, and I mean, it went viral. He accidentally got TikTok famous. Accidentally, <laughs> on purpose, got TikTok yeah. famous. So yeah, like so he literally only started his TikTok a month ago. Yeah, dude, there's like 15 videos on it. Yeah, and we're posting the exact same videos, just with different thumbnails between Wildlife Command Center, my TikTok, and his TikTok. But it was his TikTok that hit and went viral. So it's like so much chance, you know? Like it's just a roll of the dice if something's going to go viral or not. It's one of those crazy things. But because that one video went viral, and I mean, it was just getting just hundreds of thousands of views every single day, what it did was it just blew up his whole TikTok page because now he's got, what, 37,000 followers? Thir yep, 37,000 in a matter of 30 days. And how many likes? You know, I mean... Almost a milli. And each one of the videos that we posted went from getting 100 to 200 views a video. Now he's, every one of the videos has like thousands of views. Yeah, 15,000 it looks like. 
it's one of those crazy things. And so he, we've been positioning that TikTok page to push followers to YouTube, to push followers to our website. You know, it's getting the Wildlife Command Center logo out there constantly. And then, of course, you know, we've been trying to be strategic about it and utilize that momentum. And so I get in there and I answer people's questions constantly. If people leave a comment, I try to get in. Of course, on the one that went viral. Um, <laughs> Dude, those comments are gnarly. <laughs> look, after, well, the thing is, there's no way you can keep up with the comments. Mm-mm. One, some of the comments don't need to be replied to. Uh, no. Two, some of the comments are just silly. But three, there's just such a volume of comments that you just cannot keep up with it. You know, at, at one time I was like, okay, well, I'm going to do five comments in the morning, then I'm going to do five comments at night. And so, you know, I'll try to do about 10 to 15 comments a day to try to keep up. And I would look and there would be 900 comments. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> wow, if I'm only doing 10 or 15 comments a day, I am not going to keep up with that. I can't that catch pace. up with them. But it's been, it's been really good because we've been feeding followers over to our YouTube channel. We've been feeding followers over to our Instagram. And I'll tell you, the whole thing is really starting to mesh. You know, about three years ago at the Wildlife Command Center on the wall, I had drawn the social media triangle. Mm -hmm. And it's still there to this day. I could go over there right now and take a picture of it. It's still up on the wall. And it was just that concept of you've got to connect Instagram, YouTube, and Facebook. You know, you've got to, you've got to make those connections so that people can watch and learn about the brand from whatever platform they like. Because that's what it all boils down to at the end of the day is what platform are the homeowners that have homes that can spend money to protect their homes? What platform are they on? A lot more of them are on TikTok now. Yeah. Well, you see, one of the things about TikTok that I recognized probably late last year was that the demographics for TikTok at the moment may not be my customer exactly. However, they are that 25 to 35-year-old person that is going to become a homeowner. And if I can start influencing them now, when they do own a home and they do have an animal problem, they're going to remember Wildlife Command Center. And if nothing else, they may be typing in Google, looking for something, and that logo pops up and something in their brain is going to go, wait, I've seen that before. Let's take a, another look at that. I saw it in that movie from Big, about Bigfoots. Oh, yeah. boy, that is going to be so great. <laughs> that is going to be so great. Man, I'll tell you what, when I was watching that on the big screen, when we premiered that movie, it's called Drone Down. I was even more blown away watching it on the big screen with several hundred people. And I had this sense of pride well up in me that could have been ego, but it was just pride because, man, I saw those uniforms on those actors. I saw the big Wildlife Command Center on their back. And everywhere you turn in that movie, you see Wildlife Command Center, Wildlife Command Center, Wildlife Command Center, Wildlife Command Center. And it's just, it, it's incredible. You know, it's a good movie to boot and it's really, really well. The, I'm going to tell you, the product placement in that is freaking sweet. Yeah, so that, uh, so that whole thing is going under another edit to clean it up just a little bit more. 
and then it's going straight to a distributor. And once the distributor has it and they package it, then, you know, they'll, they usually do things like they, a certain percentage of DVDs will be cut and they'll be sent to Walmart, put in the $5 DVD bin or whatever. And then you'll have a couple of theatrical releases and then they'll, they'll park it on a streaming platform somewhere whether it be Amazon Prime or Netflix or Tubi, who knows. But then it'll be readily available. And of course, you know, I'll be blasting it on social media. Go watch that. Go watch that. Oh, speaking of which, I just posted a trailer to a movie I did two years ago called Shakespeare's Mummy. What? Yeah. Shakespeare's Mummy. Yeah. So Columbia, Missouri... There's this really, really famous pizza joint called Shakespeare's Pizza. Mm-hmm. And this movie is all centered around that. And so Shakespeare's Pizza's Mummy is what the whole title would be. But they just shortened it to Shakespeare's Mummy. But anyway, we were able to use the ringtail lemurs in the movie. And so if you watch the trailer you'll see some really cool things. Like, there's a lot of supernatural in it, you know, and this is a very G-rated movie. It's made for families and kids, you know? Ah. And so it has some of that real simplistic humor in it and things that are really easily digestible for an eight, nine, 10-year-old, which is what the movie's geared toward. But the whole thing about the lemur, we used Queenie, the ringtail lemur, is that she was in the underworld. And when they opened up the portal from the underworld, she came through the portal. And one of the, <laughs> one of the first things she does is she comes through the portal and there's this big demon riding on this big, huge black horse, which was a real big, huge perch on black horse and that we filmed it with. And she jumps up on the horse's back. She jumps up on top of the demon and she runs and she sits on top of his scythe. Whoa. Yeah. Is she a bad lemur? Well, it depends. What's your definition of bad? Now, she did drink seven kegs of beer at the frat boy's party and she ate 14 pizzas. So she, she could be considered bad. But when you, when you see some of the things that I was able to do and get this lemur to participate in and actually accomplish, you'll be like, what? How did you do that? How'd you do that? You know? But watch the trailer. You should definitely go. I've got it posted on my Facebook page. You can just type in Shakespeare's Mummy trailer, or you can go to the Instagram page and you can see it. But you should watch the trailer because it's really, really cute. And Rocky the Owl makes a little appearance in the trailer, too because he was in the movie as well. So it's going to be pretty cool. But you know, I do all that stuff to try to raise brand awareness, but also, and here's the main thing, when we are at a customer's house and we're trying to resolve some kind of problem and the resolution is going to cost that customer $8,000, as soon as you turn in that quote and you leave, the very first thing a customer does is they get on the internet and they Google and they go, who in the world is Wildlife Command Center? I mean, I know I looked them up. I know I called them out. I know I chose them to do this. But when you present them with an $8,000 quote and they're going to have to spend $8,000 for this resolution, they're going to be like, what in the world? The first thing they do is they go to the internet and they type in Wildlife Command Center. 
and they start looking to see if we are a valid company that they can trust. And when they get blown away with 15 pages of Google results for Wildlife Command Center, they start reading through them. They start to recognize right away that we're no joke, that we're not just some guy with a pickup truck that's unmarked driving around with a ladder on it trying to make one sale to cover his whole month. They'll be able to dig in pretty deep and they'll be able to see 500 five-star reviews. They'll be able to see all the articles that were written about Wildlife Command Center. And so it brings validity to the company, but you got to do all these little bitty things that might not seem like they're giving you very much of a repayment for your time and effort, but it piles into the bigger scheme of building validity for the company, building validity for the technicians, you know, giving the technicians that authority that they need to present a wildlife resolution that costs a little bit more than maybe we thought it might cost. And that's the big reason why I do all these things, you know, is because I know that every single one of the things that I do, it lends into building that bigger picture, lends into building that bigger brand. It lends into helping those customers that Mm -hmm. are fixing to make a major investment in the resolution that we're providing them. It helps them make that and sign off on that and say yes, because they've got enough information. They can trust the company that we're going to be able to do a good job and resolve their animal problem. It's a huge part of the sale. And, you know, it's not even, it's really not even the sale. You know, when you're just providing a resolution to an animal problem, that's just how much resources we're going to have to put into it to get it resolved. They just want reassurance that you're going to do a good job, that you're a valid company, that you're a big company, and that you can actually handle the job. Yeah, trust is a big part of a sale. And that's a huge part of it. That's why we just finished up Shutterfest in St. Louis, one of the largest photography conventions in the Midwest. And so that was a multiple day thing. Is that why you guys were, you've been there the past few nights? Yes. As a matter of fact, Shutterfest is a week long. Oh, geez. And so I, you know, I think when you left St. Louis, they were really still doing a lot of construction on Union Station. I don't know if you've ever been able to experience Union Station. I don't think so. But they just transformed that, huge, that whole area. It used to be the hub of the passenger trains from the early to mid-1900s. It's what really got, what really made St. Louis you know, is, is those passenger trains, the transportation coming in and out of the city. Well, anyway, you know, trains are no longer, but they took that whole, all that land and that whole facility and they built an aquarium that is incredible. They built this huge, just massive hotel in there. They've got this great music venue in there. They've got big Ferris wheel. And then Union Hall itself, the train station itself has been transformed into this social venue that is just amazing. And and it's very much like Fremont Street with the video in the ceilings and all that stuff. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, if you've ever been to Fremont Street in in Las Vegas, you know that that's just a a huge attraction and a huge draw. Now, they don't, Union Station doesn't have as many stage bands as as Fremont Street does. (laughs) 
<laughs> Fremont Street has what seven stage like bands? Six? Or, yeah, dude, yeah. it was bananas. Yeah, it was. It, that was pretty crazy. I mean, it's a great place to go. It's awesome, fun. But anyway, we had the animals there. We started with a photography shoot that's called the Photographer's Night at City Museum, which City Museum has been really finished out well too. I think you've been. Oh, there. nice. You've been there a couple of times. We started out with there. We had five animals. We had six animals there and five stations because we had the ringtail lemurs, which really can only be out for 30 minutes at a time because they get so overstimulated. And uh, we shot for five hours. And then at the end, we did this big post-apocalyptic photo shoot that was just Wildlife Command Center people, which turned out really well. I'll be dropping some of those photos on my uh, Facebook page here pretty soon and Instagram. But really incredible the amount of exposure that Wildlife Command Center got from that because we were all in our Wildlife Command Center garb and we were working the animals for the models and the photographers. And it's amazing our influence through there because I was up in, you know, that place is huge, four stories of stuff and just tunnels and mazes and things to do and play in. And everywhere I went, people knew Wildlife Command Center. They would pull me to the side and say, hey, could you bring the animal over here? Could you bring the animal over here? And then the next night, we went to the Union Station out by the huge Koi Lake and there were photographers everywhere. And again, as I would walk through, they would pull me to the side and they would say, hey, can you, can you bring this over this model? And I'd have to tell them, I was like, no, but you can bring the model over to our station, you know? <laughs> yeah. and, uh, and then we were inside the hotel the last night and it's just amazing to me how everybody knew who Wildlife Command Center was. Like, I'm not talking hundreds of photographers and models. I'm talking 12, 15, 1,700 people there, and they all knew us. And so it just goes to lend that if you want to be seen, you got to show up. It's been pretty amazing, that whole journey of doing all that. And it's been paying off a lot too, because we have had in the St. Louis market, especially just recently, we have had some really big sales. That is going to finally resolve their, whatever's keeping them up at night. That's probably the worst one, right? Waking you up. I think so. Probably, probably some of the most traumatic calls we get are the people that are, especially gray squirrels with young right now. The squirrels start moving around around 5.30. Well, for most people, that's about an hour and a half of good sleep. <laughs> They're, not <laughs> They're not kidding. They're not kidding at all. I know myself, I feel like I sleep the best the two hours before I wake up. I mean, I don't know that that's scientific or anything like that, but it just seems like the best sleep is about two hours before I get up. Yeah, I feel like by then the body has fallen asleep, I guess to say. Like it's finally like tuned down. Anything in your gut that was processing has been processed. Like, you know, your sugar levels are down. So the body can really just rest right at those <laughs> those last two hours. Well, I'll tell you, with Bonnie, my wife Bonnie, man, she cannot stand to hear a mouse 
in the attic. I mean, it drives her bonkers, you know? <laughs> Wish I knew somebody did this kind of work. <laughs> you know? <laughs> I use the same lines on myself. I could just imagine something bigger. We've, we've been lucky in this house that we've been in since 2016. You know, we had an issue where something made a hole in the gable vent screen and a couple of bats got in. And I'm going to tell you, man, it must have been the same night the bats got in, Bonnie heard them. And I went up there and I was like, there are no bats in this house. I mean, I, I specifically did an inspection on this house twice before we bought it. I said, there's nothing in there. So, but I went up there anyway because... She's unyielding when it comes to she heard something. And I get up there, and sure enough, it's three bats. Like <sighs> right in the peak. In your own house. In my own house. And they had to have just gotten there because there was not, there was like five pieces of bat poop in that attic. Yeah. And then we had a we had a field mouse get in. And luckily that's all that's all we've had to deal with, you know, since 2016. I promptly got rid of those and sealed the house up properly. We did have nice. a problem with woodpeckers. Woodpeckers were... I was about to say, yeah. I thought that was during your initial inspection, you saw some woodpecker or heard them? Well, I saw the damage that they had done on the fascia board. And, mm-hmm. of course, they would wake us up every morning at daylight, oh. 6.30 or so. I, I went through and I pulled all the fascia board off this whole house. And I put PVC board up in its place. And woodpeckers can't deal with PVC board. Because it's too hard? They can't grab onto it. And it, it just... Oh, yeah, that's right. It's slick. It just bounces. Like when they try to peck it, it just bounces. But mostly it's because it doesn't give that hollow reverberation they need to try to find their prey. Mm-hmm. Like regular wood, when they peck wood, they're looking for that echo to tell them there's a soft grub behind it. And with the PVC, they don't get it. One, there's nothing behind it. But two, they just don't get that reverberation that they need. Or that loud echo that they use for Mm -hmm. territorial displays. Well, we still have a little problem with that. Oh, Oh, geez. We've got a flicker that comes around every once in a while. And he drums on top of our metal chimney cap, and that sound comes straight down the chimney right into the house. And you guys have an open house, so like it goes straight up into the bedroom. <laughs> it sure does. And it <laughs> pops me out of bed because I'm out that front door and I'm clapping my hands because that's all it takes to run him off, and then he's gone. But you can bet I'm awake at that point. <laughs> oh, of course. Yeah. Out of bed, downstairs, outside, in the cold. In your underwear. <laughs> At least throw a robe on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's the crazy things. But you know, you know, we started this conversation talking about TikTok and and why you do it. And you know, Gary Vanderchuk has been a mentor of mine, somebody that I've leaned into pretty heavy. I like his style. And, you know, he's been telling people for the last year. Do three meaningful TikToks every day and you will be successful on TikTok. You know? Three. Jeez. Three meaningful TikToks a day and you will be successful. His his thought process is that your demographic in the morning is different than your demographic in, at noon, is different again than your demographic in the afternoon or late evening. Dang. So I have not reached that lofty goal yet, but I am putting out at least two TikToks a day. And if I find something interesting and I have 
interesting enough content than I, than I do hit the three a day. Let's see, how many TikTok, how many videos am I up to? I think, I think I'm around 40 videos now on my TikTok page. Okay, getting up there. Yeah, I've been Any starting more, to work. Uh, baby Harris Hawks on the horizon to take up those videos? I don't need another Harris Hawk. I got plenty. <laughs> so yes. the only reason we even have that one, though, is because Dennis Sammy was determined to get one to hatch out of that Peruvian and Coulson Harris Hawk mix. You know, because mm-hmm. we've had plenty of them die in the shell, go full turn, then die in the shell. And we've had, we let the parent birds take a clutch and incubate a clutch, and they ended up eating all the, the babies. Oh, shoot. I mean, th- that pair has been together for four years, and I think that, that they've done 10 clutches. Whoa. Because she double clutches every year, regardless. And it's crazy because they are the worst parent birds ever. Ever. Oh, no. <laughs> so that baby's definitely going in with someone else. They lay the first week of February. And in Missouri, that doesn't work out. Terrible. You know, I have to keep a ceramic egg in the nest at all times. If I pull the ceramic <laughs> egg out, they, they start, start copulating. Laying. Oh, boy. If I, remove the, if I remove the egg, they start copulating. And like last year... She laid a, a clutch of eggs December 15th. Oh, my gosh. Wait, just, just this 2021, a few yeah, months ago? Yeah. Oh, man. So, hey, it was fall. The photo change had started hard. You know, it was getting dark at 5 o'clock. And there was ceramic eggs out there. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to go ahead and pull those just so she's not putting the effort into sitting on them. She'll be okay. <laughs> It'll be fine. Next thing I know, she lays eggs. Oh, man. You know? And then even with this clutch that we hatched the one out of, because she laid the eggs, and of course they froze, you know, December. So I put the ceramic eggs back in it, and then I don't remember, Anthony was going through, and he was cleaning up the, the pen, and he pulled the ceramic eggs out, and that was like the first of March or so. And good gosh, she ended up laying another clutch of eggs in the middle of March. And so we pulled three eggs. One, one egg had, had broke, and so I just threw it. We had three viable eggs. Dennis Sammy took them, and he's a local falconer for folks that don't know. He's a great falconer. And also, he is working really hard on doing a Goss-Harris-Cross hybrid. Really? He's probably going to be successful this year with that. But he took the eggs, and he was determined, because he's tried to hatch eggs like three different times, three different years. He was determined to get these hatched. I mean, he put a lot of time and effort into it. Well, one of the eggs right away was no good. The other two eggs were viable, but one of the eggs was really, really dry. The other egg was too wet. He had it in one incubator, and so he was trying to split the difference, and it ended up being that the wet egg hatched. The dry egg couldn't pip, and so it died in the shell. But anyway, yeah, so uh, this Harris Hawk, I think, is a male, the little baby chick that we have. You can see it on TikTok. And of course, you know, cross-post Instagram. But it's a male. We banded it yesterday, 14 days, and the band went on so easy. And, and it's, okay, I, got a, I got an RW band, which is a male Harris Hawk size. So typically, Harris Hawks, at day 10, you need to get that band on there. Oh, but this guy's half Peruvian. He's half Peruvian, yeah. And they're smaller, for those of you that don't know. 
Yeah, Peruvian Harris Hawks are much smaller. But anyway, at day 14, the band went right on. You know? Nice. And so uh, I didn't check it today, but we banded him yesterday with the federal band. So it's going to be good stuff, you know? What is your plan for him to be raised? Like, what pen is he going in with? All right, let's go ahead and start the controversy. Let's start it right now. <laughs> oh, no, what are you doing? So this is what we are going to do. We are imprinting him. We are dual socializing him and we are tame hacking him. Holy moly. We're going to put him on a 60-day tame hack and he is going to be perfectly, he's going to be just like Mars. He is going to be perfectly quiet. Mm. As a matter of fact, this bird has never had to beg for food because we have been shoving food in his gullet. Like just, we got like seven different people feeding him. But to dual socialize him, as soon as he gets big enough to thermal regulate and the temperatures raise a little bit, we've got a little platform that we made that we're putting up right outside the cage of our three Harris Hawks that are free lofted together. And so he's going to be able to see, as the young one grows, he's going to be able to see and kind of interact with seven different Harris Hawks, including his birth parents. Yeah. So we're going to dual socialize him that way. And then we're going to, um, we're going to put a GPS tracker on him and we're going to tame hack him. He's just going to have free run of the Wildlife Command Center area, you know, just like Mars did. And I'm going to tell you, it turned out really, really well with Mars. You know, the only thing we worry about is just we do have a road that we have to pay attention to. But luckily, I think when we tame hack this Harris Hawk, he's going to hang out around with the other Harris Hawks and, and on the side that's got the creek on it. Yeah, most likely. Because Mars mostly hung out at the Wildlife Command Center. It was, it was a crazy thing. When we tame hacked Mars, I could probably write a book about that or at least, at least a couple of paragraphs. But when we tame hacked Mars, one of the cool things about that is we had him in a big jump box that the Boy Scouts had made. And so that jump box was right beside the door that goes into Wildlife Command Center. Well, every evening when, when I would swing the lure, he would come to the lure. I'd feed him in that jump box, and then I would just close the doors. When I would get to the Wildlife Command Center in the morning, I would throw a lure out into the parking lot with food on it. Then I'd walk over to the jump box, and I'd open the jump box, and he would come out, and he would look around to see where the lure was. And he would go eat his breakfast on the lure. And then for the next two hours or so, he would lay on the concrete right in front of the door. <laughs> and, and warm up. And just warm up, you know, in the, in the sun. <laughs> yeah. That was his daily routine. And then, and then usually around 1030 or 11, he'd fly off and go somewhere. And he's a lantern falcon? Lantern falcon, yeah. But he would fly off and go somewhere. And then, of course, you know, we would just look at the iPad, watch where he was. And then if we wanted to interact with him, we'd go out, whistle a couple of times, throw, swing the lure a little bit, and he would come in. He'd make a couple of passes at the lure, and then we would just throw the lure into the middle of the parking lot. Hmm. He'd go down and get, get whatever was on that. But the bird is perfectly quiet, like... The only peeps he makes is if he's peeping at you because he's got that curiosity peep going on. Mm -hmm. That's just a little peep, peep, peeping. And even when you take his weight down, he doesn't get vocal at all. I mean, he doesn't make a sound. Man, that's nice. 
Yeah, it, it is nice because I I hate screamies. I hate screamies. Yeah. So anyway, this Harris Hawk, that's what, this, with this Harris Hawk, that's what we're doing. We're imprinting him. We're dual socializing him. And then we're tame hacking him. And so he was laid on March the 5th. He pipped April the 6th. And he hatched April the 9th. Wow, three days after pipping. Holy cow. Yeah. Dang. I don't know exactly what, when do you count his birth? Is it when the egg was laid? Is it when he pips or the day he hatches? Hatches. Yeah, hatch date. Hatch date. Interesting. Huh. I'll need to see what you said. He's 14 days old today? About, yeah. Is he getting any pin feathers yet? Should be. Nope. Really? Oh, geez. He's getting dark. None oh, of the, yeah, yeah, None yeah. of the pin feathers have erupted yet. He's dark. You can start, you can see the blue coming in along the lines where the feathers are going to erupt through. Well, that's exciting. I'm vicariously living through you guys, and I will be through the TikTok, basically, of raising Harris hawks again. I kind of miss that, I got to tell you. Yeah, you know, I think we all, as falconers, we go through these different, thought processes and venues, you know, and then, you know, whatever you lock into that is the fun is what you usually end up going back to. And for me, that's the Harris Hawk. Certainly, if you watch any of the YouTube channel stuff, I mean, I'm constantly saying that the Harris Hawk is the best hawk, you know, <laughs> and, and some of that's just to stir up a little controversy, you know, of course. Mm-hmm. But I'll tell you what's, what has been amazing is watching Megan and her goshawk. I mean, she... Dude, she's killing it. She really has been killing it, you know? For real, killing a lot of stuff. <laughs> but, mm-hmm. but that goshawk... And she's got a nice, well-mannered goshawk. Well-mannered, very well-mannered. I also have a guy that follows me out of New Jersey that is a squirrel. He's 100% squirrel hawker with his goss. And, I mean, he... he takes rabbits and ducks on the reg too, but he's mostly squirrel hawker. And watching some of those aerial acrobatic moves that that goshawk makes in the tree after those squirrels is just amazing, you know? I had him on the podcast a few episodes ago. Yeah, the guy from New Jersey? Mm-hmm. Cool. Casey Everett. Two episodes ago, episode 55. It's pretty good. It's pretty good. Yeah, so I am impressed. Not that I'll ever do that. Just because, of, <laughs> no. just because I'm locked in and committed to the Harris Hawk, mostly because it fits my lifestyle the best. And it's it's hot enough in Missouri for long enough. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. The way we like to hunt, it's just not best suited for a goshawk here. You know where Megan's at. It's a little colder. Plus, she doesn't have a whole business. You know that she needs to take care of. She can devote more time to her goshawk, whereas Harris hawks don't need as much time and attention to still perform that the ways that they perform. Well, she uh, she did a really good job. I was super impressed. You know? Did you see her videos of it watching TV? Yes. Dude, so she told me that it was a baiting, super fearful bird in front of the TV until she put goshawk videos on. And it just really? sat there, big, wide-eyed, staring at the video. <laughs> just, and just watched, huh? Mm-hmm. Yeah, just turned cool. into like a calm, one foot up, preening, chilled out. And now so she just watches bird videos with it now. Wow. 
That's pretty cool. I don't know what it is about <laughs> this podcast, but I just gained 60 TikTok followers since we've been talking for the last 40 something minutes. I got you. 50, and I'm going to, that's what I'm going to use that as the title. We went viral on TikTok. Yeah, that'll be cool. <laughs> that'll be really cool. Awesome. Thanks for jumping on with me, Michael. Appreciate it. Yeah. I'm excited to see how this little baby Harris grows up. I'll tell you that. Good chit chat. It's going to be awesome watching the baby Harris hawk. So awesome. Like we're going to video every single movement, every single significant change until we're actually doing squirrels. And then I'm going to do that TikTok, you know, you know, the one that goes, can we skip to the good part, you know? Uh, and then it's him grabbing a squirrel from the top of the tree. And <laughs> raking a squirrel out. Or maybe I'll just, or we'll catch a wood duck, you know? Because he's going to be a little... Dude, he, he's going to be fast. Super, super quick. Yeah, oh, I'm dude, excited. He's going to be awesome. I'm excited. Awesome. Alrighty, thank you guys for jumping on here with myself and Bare Hands Baran and the Wildlife Command Center podcast. If you haven't yet, please hit the subscribe button and... Ring the bell as well. It really does help out the podcast and leave us an awesome review. Five stars. Alrighty, guys. Thanks for listening. You guys have a good one. God bless. Hey, guys. Thanks for listening to this podcast. This is Michael Baran, a.k.a. Bare Hands Baran. Make sure you go now to Discovery Plus. Download our reality TV show, Bare Hands Rescue where we are out there every day rescuing people from wild animals. It is entertaining, it is engaging, and it is informative. Download it today and listen for our next podcast.